0: Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor, Daryl Feemster. All my brothers and sisters who were veterans, if you've served in the military in any branch, would you just stand up for a moment and let us honor you any time in your life? Thank you. Thank you all. Let's just everybody stand up. Just everybody stand up. Go ahead. We'll get ready to praise and worship. If you'd like to praise and worship God the Father with your tithes and offerings, we have boxes set up around the auditorium. There's two outside in the lobby as you go out. And if you'd like to have communion, that's also set up on both sides of the stage here and one back by the sound booth. This week as we get ready to celebrate Veterans Day and honor those who put their lives aside for us for a little while so that we could have the freedoms to be here today, I want you to remember those people and give them honor this week. Father God, thank You for being here amongst us today. There is nothing greater than to spend time in Your presence. You make all things possible, and You make all things new. Thank You for this day, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians 5, and then Judges chapter 13. Galatians 5 and Judges 13. We're in a series called Self-Control. Does anybody need self-control? You think we need self-control a little bit in America? That ability to respond in life with a spirit of love, confidence, and peace. But the self-control we're talking about is a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the outflow of the inward presence of the person purpose, and enabling power of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. What that means is, you won't find any laws against qualities like these. Now, how wonderful it would be if the day you got saved, you got self-control. Wouldn't it be wonderful if salvation and self-control were simultaneous? But they're not. Fruit grows, develops from the life that produces it. You know, this list in Galatians five twenty-two and 23 starts with love and ends with self-control. Love keeps us focused, self-control keeps us anchored. Love is spoken by Paul in Corinthians about being the greatest of these, but self-control provides boundaries within which love can be unleashed in its fullness. Last week we discovered that uh, self-control comes from a Greek word. Anybody remember that Greek word? It's on the screen. Ingratia. Yeah, you remember it now. Like most of my sermons. Ingratia comes from the word, from in and kratos. Kratos means power, dominion, rule, strength. In means within. So ingratia means power over your passions. Being self-governed to rule or control yourself. The message Uh, When it translates self-control, it says it this, Able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Anybody need that? Me too. You know, I've discovered that sometimes you can understand a word best when we look at its opposite. The opposite of self-control is self-indulgence. Self-indulgence is another Greek word I want to teach you. Akrates. Say that with me. Akrates. Akrates comes from the same root word, kratos, which, is, which means power, dominion, rule, strength. But the A, the alpha that's put before it, means no. So no power, no dominion, no rule, no strength. So self-control in Gratea is having power over your passions... Self-indulgence, acrataeus, is having no power over your passions. Unfortunately, in our culture, self-control is rare. We've celebrated Veterans Day today. We're reminded of that. They're called the greatest generation. The generation who knew self-discipline and self-sacrifice. There's one thing you, you veterans here, you found out the moment you went to boot camp, you was no longer in control. Somebody else owned you. And you learned what you thought really didn't matter. It was what they said. Am I right? I've never served in military, but but I've been a farmer's son. What that means is I never was in control either. And what I thought didn't matter. Self-discipline and self-sacrifice. Now, I think that's still in our veterans, but let me tell you, it's moved way out of our culture. We have moved so far from that. We now seem to be a culture of pure, unfettered self-indulgence. Every day the advertisers have learned our weakness. We're bombarded with advertisements urging us to gratify our desires. Hurry. Time's running out. This is the last day. You can drive it home today. Don't wait. Lose seven pounds in seven days. (laughs) They don't tell you you can gain ten in two. We're a spoiled generation. Technology, social media has given us instant access to all of our heart's desires and some things we don't need to desire. When you have essentially the world at your fingertips, it's extremely hard to consciously choose weight over the pleasure principle. The pleasure principle, according to... Psychologist is basically the driving force that compels human beings to gratify their needs, wants, urges, or even whims. This relationship between instant gratification and technology is a two-way street, though. The more we're offered instant gratification through our technology, the more we come to expect it. Researchers tell us now that if, when you click on something on your phone or your computer, if something else doesn't come up in two seconds, you go on. You can't wait. Not even for two seconds. And then... Technology has got us to where the more we expect it and when we don't get fulfillment, our psychological response is anxiety and tension and even depression. It's not just what we need. It can be our whims. I want an iPhone 12, 5G. doesn't matter that we can't get 5G here. I want iPhone 12. And Connie won't let me. and I'm depressed. I have an iPhone 11, but I want an iPhone 12. Right? And I heard this statement, and I thought, wow, instant takes too long now. Instant takes too long. What?" And if what, what has happened is we've set ourselves up for misinformation, not just information. And because we have so much available to us, we take everything in, and it all becomes a distraction from the truth God intends us to live in. Listen to me, Christians, we don't realize the danger of distraction. In our day. This morning, we're going to look at Samson. Now Samson, if I ask the kids about Samson, Samson's going to be the strong guy with long hair. When I was a teenager, he was my hero. I could grow hair long. I don't have that problem anymore. But Samson was the last judge of Israel in the book of Judges. His life is spelled out for us in Judges chapter 13 through 16. We know him best because of his hair and his strength. But I want us to look at something because and it's not I don't want you to turn there. It's going to be on the screen. Judges 21:25. This was a statement that's used three times in in the book of Judges. And it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Boy, that could that ever be written today? In our day, there's no king in America. Everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. The reason they did what was right in their own eyes is because there was no king in israel and and if you read the Scripture and you know the chronological order of this, there wasn't supposed to be a king in Israel because kings are going to come later. Samuel hadn't come yet. Saul and David hadn't been anointed yet. So why is it saying there's no kings in it when there was no king in Israel? And the word king there means ruler or royal or sovereign. There was no king in Israel. Well, it's not time. So what's he saying? And so I began to look it up. I want to know, well, why is it saying it? it? says it three times. Why is it saying so often that there's no king in Israel? Who's supposed to be king? Yeah, God. God tells Samuel later, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me as king over Israel. And all of a sudden you see why everyone was doing it, what was right in their own eyes is because... The one who was supposed to be king was no longer king in Israel. Now I want, you to, re- I want to read something to you that I found in my study. This means at that, that time there was no outright renunciation of God, no public or blatant atheism, no boastful irreverence. There was a deadlier heresy. Namely, God had become a symbol of But nobody was paying attention to him as sovereign anymore, as ruler, as king. Worshipping him, possibly in outward form, but knowing nothing of the subduing and directing power of godliness. Does that sound familiar? So God would raise up deliverers and judges to lead the people against their enemies. In Judges 13 verse 1 it says this, Again the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. And then God raises up the last judge of Israel. His name is Samson. Samson starts off right. He was born into a family that honored the Lord. His mother was barren, but an angel was visited her. And in Judges thirteen seven we know what he said to her. Verse 7 says, And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And her husband wasn't there, and so like most husbands, when we're not there, we pray to the Lord. And Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent to us again come and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. He knew, this is his, her, his parents, Samson's parents, the mother and the father both knew they needed the direction of God in raising the promised son. Verses 24 and 25 of Judges 13. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at hard word Mahanay. Is that how you say it? Dan between Zorah and Eshtail. Samson was born. Before he was born, he was set apart by God for a special purpose. He was to be a lifelong Nazarite. Now I want to tell you, you see the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him and I want you to understand where Samuel got his strength. His strength was not in the length of his hair. His strength was not really in his vow. His strength was in his set-apartness to God. God would come upon him. The Holy Spirit would come upon him and strengthen him. I don't believe he was the Hercules type. I don't believe he was muscled. Or they wouldn't have asked, how did he get his strength? I believe he was a normal Joe when the Spirit of God came upon him. He had supernatural strength. He wasn't strong in his own might. He was strong in the might of the Lord. And so, Samson starts off right. Why am I telling you that? It's because Samson doesn't have an excuse for the way he's going to live. Samson was born into a family who did what they were supposed to do. His failures in his life, his self-indulgence, was the result of his own choices, not because his parents failed him in some way. And what gets me is that his mother and father lived according to the rules with Samson, but then Samson doesn't live according. So moms and dads, you can take a break. Do it, raise them as unto the Lord, and He will be responsible for them. Children, you have no excuse. It's your choices by which you live. What's a Nazarite? Number 6, 1 through 21, tells about the Nazarite vow. But here, three things specifically. First, the mother was not supposed to do it because she was going to give birth to one who was not going to do it for his whole life. Number one, he wouldn't eat or drink anything from the vine. In other words, nothing having to do with the grape. No wine, No. you couldn't even touch the skin. He couldn't touch the the leaves. of He had nothing to do with the grape. No razor would touch his head. And he would not touch anything that would make him unclean, anything dead. His was to be a life of self-control, restraint, and personal discipline. Samson was to be a man whose entire existence was to be the epitome of devotion and restraint. And by all of accounts, because of God's hand upon him, he could have become the Israel's greatest leaders, one of Israel's greatest leaders, yet he turned out to be one of the worst. Samson possessed immense strength and godly anointing, but he took both for granted. What was given to him for the deliverance of his people, he used for his own personal advantage. Samson was impetuous, volatile, lustful, moody, emotional, and unpredictable. Sounds like a lot of others I know. And he lived practically his whole life out of control. Samson cared about Samson. He certainly was gifted, but he wasn't godly. His arrogance didn't come from his ignorance. He knew all about God and his laws, but he consciously chooses to ignore them. Samson prioritizes pleasure over purpose. And let me tell you, I really believe Samson would have been just a good old boy He's good natured, he's sarcastic, like other people I know. He's full of humor he he fought with his wits as well as with his fists. He loved riddles, he loved to tease, he loved pleasure, he loved women, he loved revenge. and Samson we know was a he man with a she weakness. We find in Samson an adventurous, foolhardy, passionate, willful man. Dishonoring and frittering away his God given power by making it subservient to his own lusts. I want to show you how Samson revealed his self indulgence when he had every opportunity to be a different man and his blatant disregard for what God intended. First of all, his disregard for his people. Samson goes, and it always says in Scripture, down. It was actually north of where he was. He goes, he goes down, he goes north to the Philistines, to Timra, the, the vineyards of Timra, and he finds a, a woman that pleases him. And so he wants this daughter of the Philistines to be his wife. In Judges 14:3 it says this: Then his father and mother says to him, "Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all the people, all my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines?" And Samson said to his father, and listen to me, this is where you see where his heart is. "Get her for me, for she pleases me well. Get her for me." It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what is written before. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I want what I want. And I want it now. Get her for me. Nowhere in Samson's life will you discover that he ever asked for anyone else to come along with him. Here he is a judge of Israel, but he's all by himself. He can do it by himself. He doesn't need anybody. His disregard for his own people. God had put him up to be a leader. He'd put him up, set him up to be a deliverer. And it just looks like he doesn't care about his parents, he doesn't care about his people. Number two, disregard for his vow. Now we we know the stories about how prior whatever strong Samson was. But you got to realize that when he goes down to visit the woman who's going to be his wife he goes through and it says the vineyards he's traveling through the vineyards now what's he not supposed to be about he's not supposed to be anywhere close he's not supposed to touch it he's not supposed to have it and a young lion runs out and the spirit of the lord comes upon him and he rips the line with his bare hands destroys the lion goes on comes back finally goes back to his house and there, it says after a later time, look at verse 8, after some time, chapter 14, verse 8, sometime when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. The carcass of the lion. Behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. And he took some of it in his hands and he went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they also ate. But He didn't tell them that He had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Why does the Scripture tell us that? What's He not supposed to do as a Nazarite? Touch any dead thing that would cause Him to be unclean. But it's not just enough that He did it. He takes some of it home. Now, His mom and dad had been living by the same vow. He takes it home and gives to them. And they take it. It wasn't enough that He would break His vow, but He had so little respect for what God was having for him to be and to do that he would even... I think he probably thought it was funny. I'll get them to break their vow too. Look, Mom and Dad, you're not so much either, are you? He didn't tell them. A man anointed, the Spirit of God would come on him and give him incredible supernatural power and he lived in it for himself. Disregard for God's purposes. Every battle, and I'm not going to go through them because time's sake, but every battle he got in, he wasn't delivering Israel, it was for his own revenge, his own anger, his own sense of justice. He just totally disregarded, you know, his battle with the Philistines wasn't to deliver Israel, but to avenge his own anger. He killed a thousand with the jawbone of a donkey. Multitudes. I mean, all his prowess, everything. The Holy Spirit would come upon him, but he used it for his own purposes. And then his desire for women, sexual immorality a harlot in chapter 16. Then finally, Delilah. Samson's weakness for women ultimately resulted in a fatal attraction. And here's what I want you to hear. If love is blind, lust is twice as blind. Samson could conquer a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, but he couldn't discern and subdue one woman. Delilah was the death of him literally. The Philistines, the lords of the Philistines, came and offered her 1,100 pieces of silver from each one of them if she could find out where his strength came from. Three times Samson toys with her telling her different things and every time when she would say, the Philistines are upon you, he would break his bonds and be free. But she kept on. And let me tell you this. The the opportunity for indulgence just keeps on. It's just life. It's always going to be there. It's just going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. It's going to keep coming. In Judges 16, 16, it says, And it came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. He tells her all. He tells her that the reason, the only way that he could lose his strength is if his hair was cut because he had not, he had a Nazarite vow, no razor had ever touched his head. And she knew he was true because he was a godly man. And so she tells him, and she brings in after he's asleep and they sure shy cut, they shave his head and uh, and she wrestles to wake him up and there's the saddest verse I believe in all of Judges in verse 20 of chapter 16. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. The Spirit didn't come. Some say, Well, as he's broken? No, it was his blatant disregard and taking the Spirit for granted. And his strength was gone. And what Samson found out, apart from God, he's just a weak man. Have we figured that out yet? That apart from God, we are powerless, weak, mere men. Samson's captured. His eyes are gouged out. And he's imprisoned grinding grain. I want you to get this picture. The divine deliverer of Israel is blind, bald, bound, going in circles before the enemy that he was to defeat. You just get the picture. You remember you saw the the grinding stone and you'd have a long bar and a, a, a donkey or a horse would be pushing this or pulling this bar. Here's Samson, the deliverer of Israel, going in circles at work for the enemy. All because he lived by the self instead of by the Spirit. Judges 16. The lords of the Philistines gather together. They're going to have a party. Great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And it, and it says that they were saying, Our God is delivered into our hands Samson our enemy. And so they called. They said, Call for Samson that he may perform for us. So Samson has gone from a deliverer to a performer. Now the temple was full of men and women, and all the lords and the Philistines were there, about three thousand men and women of the elite of Philistine. They were on the roof watching Samson perform. In Judges sixteen twenty eight, then Samson's calls to the Lord. Isn't it amazing? Then Samson calls to the Lord then saying oh lord oh lord god remember me i pray strengthen me i pray just this once <laughs> how many times you've ever prayed that lord just this once remember me just this once i won't ever ask for nothing else just this once but don't you see even when he's he's getting his heart right but it's still not there because this is what he says. Just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. He gets a servant to station him between the pillars. And you know the story. I hope you do. If you don't, read Judges 13 through 16. And after the prayer, he pushes with all of his might. He pushes with everything that's in him. And he pushes the breaks it, and the... The roof, the and three thousand supposedly are killed, and it said that more were killed in his day of his death, and Samson's killed too in the day of his death and in, in his life. Now we think, wow, more were killed in his death in his life. No, God intended him to be a deliverer all through his life, and it comes to the end, and yeah, he takes out the elite but he takes out himself. He lived a life of self-indulgence. And here's the thing, but God still allowed him to be a deliverer of what he purposed. You're talking about grace. Grace that would stand for a man who always stood for himself, And he's listed with the heroes of faith in Hebrews eleven thirty two. Because his strength came from God and because his, in his dying act, he demonstrated his faith. But let me ask you a question. If you, were, you think while he was pushing... Now, his hair had grown back. That's what the Scripture says. His hair had grown back. And here's the thing. I wonder if Samson didn't think, my hair's grown back, but has God come back? And he pushed and God delivered. He was a man of faith because in his dying act, he demonstrated his trust in God. But let me just say this. God used him, but it was almost like in spite of him. There's a lot of people that are praying, God used me, God, you know, I want to walk in your purposes. I want to... But we're living in self-indulgence and we expect God just to continue and we take it for granted what He's given us. So what's the lessons? What can be learned from Samson? Number one, self-indulgence robs sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. He didn't know when the Holy Spirit was no longer present. Self-indulgence will rob you of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Number two, self-indulgence will sap us, sap us of spiritual insight. He was blind long before his eyes were gouged out. Couldn't see what God wanted to do. He could only see what was about himself. Number three, self-indulgence is never satisfied. It's a never-ending cycle. Listen to me. The world offers you something and when you get it, it's never enough. It's never enough doesn't matter how much you can write, how much money you can get, how many properties, how much stuff. The stuff is never enough because it's never meant to fulfill. It's only meant to put you in bondage. The next thing, the next, the iPhone 12 5G Self-indulgence leads to an unfulfilled life. What can we do? Don't get distracted from what God has already given you. If you are a believer, don't get distracted. You say all this world is a distraction from what God has already given you. Let me show it to you in Scripture. It's Second Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 8 in the New Living Translation. I just want to read it to you and we'll be done. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need to live to live for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know Him, the One who has called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, you've already got everything you need for living a God-pleasing life when you come to know Jesus Christ. The decision is will I live by distractions in the world or will I live by my devotion and by devoting myself to know, hear and respond to Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit is present, personal and powerful to empower you to grow up into the full expression of the life of Jesus Christ. The choice is whether you will do it. Galatians 5, in the Amplified, verse 25, says this, If we live by the Holy Spirit, if it's by the Holy Spirit that we have life, let's walk by that Spirit. The Amplified says it this, If by the Holy Spirit we have our life in God, let's go forward walking in line, our conduct controlled by the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So the invitation is very simple. How are we going to live in these days? Let's walk by the Spirit of God. Well, I don't know, I don't know. He knows. Can I trust Him? His promises are yes and amen. Even when I'm, will I blow it? Yes. And even when I'm faithless, He's going to be faithful. Everything I need, He gave me when He gave me Jesus. The question is, will I depend on Him? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? With all that's going on in the world, is it going to be a distraction to me? Or is it going to be an opportunity for me to renew and devote myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because His Word is going to come to pass. His Word. His promises. Pick up your prophecies. Pick up your promises and remind God what He said. Because it's going to come to pass. You can trust Him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow before You, acknowledging You are Lord. You are King over Israel. You are King over America. You are King, sovereign over all nations, tongues, and tribes. You are King Your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven because You told us to ask You. Greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior this morning, today is a great opportunity to just say yes to Jesus. To receive Him. If you've been walking with Him for years, today's a day to set every distraction aside and focus your attention on that which you have in order to walk in this day for the glory of God. Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, I just ask you to respond. Say yes to Him and watch what He'll empower you to be. As Brandon and Amanda sing, we invite you to respond. The ministry team's here available. Would you stand together with me
2: And this hope will never fail Heaven is our home
0: Every piece of God's word is good for learning and instruction. And the story today reminded me so much of my own life because Samson was raised up as a Nazarite. He had a chance to start clean, to to have a a pure life. And I didn't have that start. But when I invited Jesus into my heart, I did start off in that Nazarite life because God came in and made me clean. He made me new, just like he did the rest of you. Well, then life got going, and I got distracted, and I ended up drop, walking in circles, doing the daily grind, and all of my effort went to feed somebody else. Samson was grinding grain, and he didn't get to eat the bread. He was grinding grinding grain for somebody else. That's kind of where I ended up, it seemed like, because I wanted the bigger, better thing. so I went into debt, so I needed to make money so I could make my payments, so I could get more stuff, and You see the cycle. I I hope you're not living it. I did. It wasn't good. But that daily grind going around in circles, it it just gets you numbed. Everything that's going on around, and you you just put your head down, you keep going, and the next thing you know, you're really tired, you don't have anything. A daily decision when you wake up every morning to follow God and the path and the journey and the purpose that He made for you will put you on a path to God-level provision, not my-level provision. The provision not only for money and finances in your life, but provision for patience and peace and love and kindness and that self-control that Daryl was talking about. Every morning when you wake up, ask God, show me what you need me to do today. What am I to be about? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you not want me to talk to today? (laughs) Father God, thank you for your provision. Father God, thank you that every morning you give us a chance to, to make that decision to follow You and to do what You have purposed in our lives. And Father, I thank You that when we do that, when we start walking in the path that you provided for us, that You'll give us that God-level provision for every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name. Don't forget to honor a veteran today, or this week, Wednesday. is Veterans Day. We're going to have Spark Wednesday night. Your kids won't be in school. Send them here so you can get a little break after not having school all day. This is going to meet on Wednesday night over at Common Grounds. Our potluck meal is going to be bring something with cheese in it. That's going to be good. So if you're married, come enjoy that. And last but not least, the last day to bring food for the food drive is November 15th. Thank you all very much. Help us pick up the chairs and you all go have a great day.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's message.